Well, praising God is a natural part of the Christian's life. We praise Him as we awake each day. We praise Him for mercies throughout the day. We praise Him when the saints gather for corporate worship. Our praise can be internalized, and it can be external or vocal. Often when we are greatly moved to praise God, our exuberance will turn to singing. And this is most natural. The more excited we become, the more volume and passion that will go into our praise. Ephesians 5.19 is a verse that helps inform the practice of song in our corporate worship. But the context is helpful. In verse 18, Paul exhorts his readers, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Carnal excess, such as drunkenness, can result in carousing, which is ungoverned excess. It is out of control. In contrast, the spiritual way of expressing exuberance is found in the next verse where he continues by saying, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. This morning, we're going to look in depth at some quiet but significant changes that have occurred this year related to our singing. But let me ask a rhetorical question. What is a hymn? Now, it doesn't have to be rhetorical if you're really excited and want to uh, venture a guess on that. But this is actually a loaded question. What am I asking for? Am I asking for a technical definition? A simple, plain definition? Am I limiting the question to songs of the church? Noah Webster gives a concise definition in his 1828 dictionary. He says, A song or ode in honor of God and among pagans in honor of some deity. So a hymn is intended to honor God, and that's simple to understand. As hymns developed and involved, there are two components that make up a complete hymn. Does anybody have ideas on those two components or two elements of a complete hymn? This is not rhetorical. What are two elements are components that make a complete hymn. Okay. Ken? Lyrics and tune. Okay, there you go. So you have to have the words, and then you have to have the music that will go along with that. And the doctrine often, or the doctrine is important in what the lyrics are. Um, So the words could be called a hymn poem, And traditionally, the tunes themselves have been given names so that they could be referred to. Words without music is prose, or at most a poem. Tune without words is a musical composition. Words with a tune is a song which can be sung, and going back to Noah Webster's definition becomes a hymn when that song honors God. Now let's turn to to numbers now. Not hymn numbers, but statistics numbers. Um, and as we go through here, I have some, some questions are going to be real simple answers. I'm just looking for a word or a phrase. But at any point, if you have questions, ask. Because this is kind of the meat of what's going on behind our hymnal. Uh, so the better we understand, great. And if you have questions, feel free to ask. So... For a given calendar year, how many total hymns do we sing in all of our services? This would include our 10 a.m., 
11 a.m. and 5 p.m. services, and it would exclude the doxology and the closing hymn after the sermon. So how many total hymns do you think we sing in a given year? You can do the math, the 10 a.m. service. We have three hymns at the 11 Caleb. 260, okay. Anybody else have an idea? 300. 312? Okay, for a five-year average, we have sung 239 total hymns in a given calendar year. The high was 271. So the next question, how many different hymns do we sing on average in a calendar year? Some hymns are sung multiple times in a year, but they would only count one for this question. So our average total number is 239. So now we want to know how many different or unique hymns do we sing in that same year? Okay, 80. Anyone else? 130. Okay, we have sung 169 different or unique hymns each year. So again, 239, 240, let's round it up. I like round numbers. So 240 total hymns in the calendar year and 179 different, or 170, 169 um, different or unique hymns. I won't ask a question about this, but how many hymns are sung more than one time a year? So some hymns will be sung two times, some maybe three, some maybe four. And so there are 53 hymns that are sung more than once in a given year. So let me ask this question, and this might be a longer answer. What opinion or thoughts do you have about singing 169 different or unique hymns each year? Okay, a lot of scripture there. Good variety. Caleb? It's nice to be able to learn a new song, but um, also kind of difficult to truly learn them unless you're practicing them on your own time. Uh, you're not going to know them, really. Okay, good observation. Anyone else? Thoughts or comments on singing 169 different hymns each year. As you read the, the lyrics, as you walk through the song, you can connect it to things that are happening in your life, and you can apply it. It's just uplifting to read, so I feel like having that variety lends itself to that. Okay. Ken? That seems to me to be a lot more than um, what those of us that came from evangelical churches that use a contemporary form of musical worship it seems to be much, much more limited in, in um, those places than what we're singing uh, here. There seems to be a, a wider variety, I would say, uh, okay. with our hymn singing. It, it, it seems like, I mean, there's, there's pros and cons to it. So it's like, yeah, it's great to have the variety. And so you don't get bored singing the same ones all the time. And, you know, like pointed out, gives you more things to think about. But then... 
like Caleb said, you're not going to learn them as well if you're not singing, you know, you only sing it once a year. It's a, the last time we sang it was six months ago. Like now it's like you have to relearn it. But then if there's hymns that someone like me that grew up in a church, I know a lot of them from many years ago, whereas someone who's newer to our church or to hymns, hymns then that will be harder for them. Okay. Yeah. Well, thinking about the psalm, uh, commanded to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So I knew you asked what a hymn was. I would I would say it's not a psalm, uh, but uh, there's 150. You're asking about numbers. There's 150 psalms. So I would think that we would probably need to sing more than 150 songs in general. Okay. If we're going to sing all the songs. Irene. Uh, one drawback on that would be we would not be as enthusiastic in singing them because they're new to us and you know how hard it is, like Caleb was saying, unless we sing them at home. So the enthusiasm wouldn't be there as much as hymns that we know. Okay, good. And I would I'd agree with that, but but it's nice that you guys have recently started to uh, send the hymns out in email format in advance of the service. So we can kind of read through and kind of prep and have it kind of go through a rehearsal almost before we come to church. Good. Do you find, do you find that helpful? Yeah. Good. Good. For someone who has grown up singing hymns, Linda was must have been reading what I have here. <laughs> or someone who can read music, this is not a, a big number. Uh, the large diversity creates a stimulating variety of hymns. However, we are no longer in an age where hymn singing is the norm in the churches. Now, two questions. Raise your hand if you have been attending here for five years or less. If you've been attending here for five years or less, and keep your hands up. No, five years or less. Less. You are new. Now, with your hands up, put your hand down if you sang hymns prior to coming here. Okay, so there's still hands up. I want to know if the new people have, they didn't sing hymns prior to coming. So those hands would stay up. So, okay, you can put your hands down. This is the reason for the lesson today. We're implementing changes uh, that we have made to our singing because we have new members that want to join. We have guests that come, and hymn singing is very different from what most churches do. It's no longer the norm. So the natural question is, how can hymn singing be made less difficult? Now, here's another question to ask, and Barry already gave one answer. Have you noticed anything different what have you noticed different over the last six months? And he said we send out the, the, the words in advance. Anything else that you've noticed? Okay, we play through the whole hymn. We've had some instruction. Okay, some instruction. Okay, so the doxology is sung a cappella. Okay. I would sing standing up for the doxology. I remember we started, and I just felt we needed to be standing, and that change was made. I was right. really happy. 
Why do you think we put repeating the communion hymn? Okay. Why do you think we play the hymn through all the time, all the way now? What does that accomplish? Familiarization. Okay. So those of us that have been here for 15 years, we've heard the tune. All we need is a few bars, and it's like, oh yeah. But if we haven't, if we don't know that that hymn, if there's no familiarity, we need a direction on where we're going. Especially if you can't read music. Right. So hymn singing has been a part of this church longer than I've attended. As new people visit, there's usually a period of adjustment from contemporary music to the more traditional hymns. But over time, the newer people come to appreciate the hymns as much as everybody else, the old-timers. In time, you become an old-timer. We won't discuss as to when that is. That's up to you. This is similar to people not having exposure to good classical music. They will likewise come to appreciate that form of music after being exposed to good quality compositions. So it it is a learning process. Uh, During the time period surrounding COVID, not COVID exclusively, we had a large number of newer people that didn't have experience singing hymns. And this raised the need to seek out ways to improve how we use the hymnal. Since 2014, I've kept records of every hymn that we've sung. Spreadsheets are wonderful, great tool. And in mid 20, mid, the middle of last year, 2021, I began to collate that information into a single spreadsheet. That spreadsheet is where I was able to gather the statistics that I gave you earlier. And it's useful to see hard numbers about the hymns that we sing. Music is an emotional thing, and so hard numbers for answering these questions really becomes very important. And so thus begin the process to determine a course of action. One of the principles that form the direction of this effort is that time will breed familiarity. I think Caleb might have said something to that um, earlier. And that really is going to form the direction of where we're going. We're looking at time as our friend. We are not in a rush or a hurry. Uh, We're doing things slowly and deliberately. Um, And so this is an idea that week after week and year after year, there is less new and there is more that is familiar. This applies equally to our theology and to our doxology. When somebody comes here new, the theology is often new to them. There is much for them to learn. Same thing applies to our doxology. It takes time for us to learn and appreciate that. Um, And Linda kind of mentioned this. We both grew up in a hymn-singing church, she on the East Coast and I on the West Coast, Um, By the time I was in high school, I knew the words by heart of many of those hymns. Further, I was at a Christian college in the male chorale, and we sang hymns of the faith for our performances. And since it was a college group, you had to know the words by heart, or you didn't sing in that performance. Um, So the memorization was, uh, that was forced memorization, but that was good. I still remember a lot of them. So when the tune is known, and the words are known, your mind and spirit are free to worship with your whole being instead of laboring through the music and the words. Similarly, why do we memorize scripture or catechism? We do these things to hide God's word in our heart, and so his word will light our path in life. Once memorized, we can more easily meditate and reflect on these passages, letting the word of God saturate our thinking. 
The structure behind our singing should assist and enable us to better know the hymns that we raise to God. And in time, Lord willing, the words become a part of us and the hymnal is not needed for favorite songs. How is this done? Simply put, we must sing fewer different songs each year, which means there is more repetition in the group of songs that are sung. I think of Ken's comment about the evangelical church and the endless repetition. We're not going there. Don't worry. I don't believe we're going there, but anyways, hang with me. I'll explain this. Because fewer different songs are sung each year, we have a better opportunity to get to know them. And further, again, this is a long-term process. As we begin this process in 2022, it will likely take more than three to five years for the fruit to mature. This means that changes made to this smaller group of hymns should be infrequent and only affect a few hymns when a change is made. Change should become very, very deliberate. As I explain how this new process occurs, we need to keep in mind that 169 different hymns occurred over our 10 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5 p.m. services. And so we need to break this down service by service. The first focus is the 11 a.m. worship service. We have three regular hymns for this service. Note that the closing hymn is chosen by the preacher and has not been recorded at all and is not a part of the process. The preacher is free to choose any hymn from the hymnal as long as the pianist can play it. So three hymns times 51 weeks, we exclude Christmas, is 153 hymns for the year. We now have a core list of 20 hymns for our 11 a.m. service. These will be sung a minimum of four times a year. Each Sunday, two of the three hymns will be from this core list of 20 hymns. This means it will take 10 weeks to work through the list. The goal is to sing these, like I said, at least four times a year. This approach could have most of the hymns being sung up to five times every two and a half months. And here, as I go through this, if you have questions, like, what did he say? Let me know. Stop me. Uh, Because there's a lot of data here. For the third hymn of each service, we have a list of 28 hymns that were highly rated but but did not make it into the core list. One of these hymns will be used for the third slot. There are roughly 45 Sundays with this third slot. So this list of hymns will be sung one and a half times a year. And this list I'm calling the secondary hymns. So we have 28 secondary hymns and we have 20 core hymns. How were these two short lists developed? Through much frustration because so many hymns could not be included. A list was was created of hymns that were sung three or more times January 2020 through March 2021. This was roughly 80 hymns. Six people were selected to mark 20 hymns. Their input was compiled and a preliminary list was developed. Then I had to send another email that said, here is our preliminary list. It is too long. Please select five to ten hymns to demote from the A list down to the B list. Pastor Steve was one of the six, and he began his reply to this email by saying, this is tough because I like them all. It was a (laughs) very difficult process. This final list was down-selected to 20 hymns. Of the 169 different hymns we have sung on average, 
this list of 20 hymns were deemed essential for our church to learn. So these are the 20 hymns that we consider to be our essential or core hymns of Sovereign Grace Baptist Church. Now let me digress slightly to discuss lists of hymns or hymns chosen for a hymnal. In the history of English hymnody, tens of thousands of hymns have been written. Most have fallen by the wayside because they did not stand the test of time. Also, with so many hymns, only the very, very best are selected to be included in hymnals. Now, here's the question. Who do you think was a prolific hymn writer? Do any names come to mind? Wesley? Watts. Watts? Newton? Newton? Cosby. Who? Cosby. Cosby? Oh, yeah, Fanny Crosby. So, for reference, Charles Wesley, and he's hard to, to know how many hymns he wrote. I found three different numbers for him, and it's like, how do you, I guess, well, anyways. So, the number that I came up with was 8,989 hymns. And Fanny Crosby, who did not start writing hymns until she was in her 40s, so Charles Wesley wrote hymns all of his adult life, and Fanny Crosby waited till middle age in her 40s, and she wrote about 9,000 works. Isaac Watts wrote over 600 hymns. So our hymnal represents hymns considered worthwhile by Reformed churches. And if you do any internet search of key or important hymns to know, you'll find people with their hymns that every Christian should know. While everyone is entitled to their opinion, this list is actually very important. True hymns of the faith will cross doctrinal lines and will be loved by all Christians, although some great hymns will also stay within doctrinal lines. I did a lot of research into this and found a number of resources that had a lot of consistency in the list that they gave. For a final reference that lists hymns of the faith, I used the list from Christian History Magazine, issue 116. They listed what they call 25 of Christianity's greatest hymn texts in chronological order. I did not try to follow the list, but I did use the list to ensure that our list includes a good number of these key hymns. One reason I like the list is that it is not limited to a small time period, but it encompasses the entire church age, 25 of Christianity's greatest hymns through the church age. Of, our, of their list of 25 hymns, 14 of them are in our Trinity hymnal. Five of those hymns are either our core list or our secondary hymn, and two of the hymns are Christmas season hymns that we sing. Why does this matter? Well, if you visit another church, particularly a Reformed church, and know these hymns of the faith, there is a good chance that they will be sung in that church, and you will immediately know those hymns. Christians share a common faith, and our doxology should also be shared to a degree. Most of the hymns that our children learn at this church will continue to be sung by subsequent generations at this church. Um, I think at this time, men, if you would hand out those handouts, so people will have them. So we've talked about the core list of hymns. We've talked about the secondary hymns. 20 on the core list, 28 on the secondary. 
The communion service, our 5 p.m. service, opens with a hymn. It's followed by preaching and lastly communion. And on the first Sunday of the month, the 5 p.m. communion service is moved to the 10 a.m. time slot. Regardless of when the communion service occurs, there is one opening hymn. 5 p.m., one opening hymn. First Sunday of the month, there's one opening hymn. So this means that each month there is a total of four opening hymns. And so a group of 16 hymns has been chosen. This will take four months to work through this particular list, repeating each hymn three times annually. On those months with five Sundays, that extra hymn will be chosen from the secondary list. We don't want to ignore the secondary list. We want to make it feel a little more important. So we'll pick one from there. So there's a group of 16 hymns for the opening hymn of communion that will be repeated three times a year. For the communion closing hymn, uh, this has a completely different approach. There are three hymns selected for this purpose. Each hymn will be sung for roughly six months in a row at the close of every communion service. Then we will rotate to the second hymn for six months, and finally the third hymn for six months. And so this creates an 18-month rotation window. And this constant repetition of singing the same hymn for six months in a row is a crash course in memorizing that particular hymn. With just a little bit of effort, the singing of that same closing hymn will enable you to memorize the words fairly quickly. Now, when we have our next communion service next week, what hymn will we be singing at the close of the communion service? It's not 365, because we reach the end of the rotation. We have a new hymn to learn. So come next Sunday evening, and you'll um, be part of learning that new one. Sunday school Bible study opening hymn. So the 10 a.m. Bible study has one opening hymn. On the first Sunday of the month, the 10 a.m. service is a communion service. So this leaves three Sundays for Bible study opening hymns. And again, using a four-month rotation, this will involve 12 hymns. These hymns will be repeated three times annually. And on months with the fifth Sunday, there is a designated hymn for a total of 13 hymns for this particular service. Any questions so far? There's another factor at work between the 11 a.m. worship service and the other two services. The 11 a.m. service is our most involved service. That is, it has many elements, multiple hymns, scripture reading, congregational prayer, pastoral prayer, and preaching, along with a closing hymn. The hymns chosen for this service are often more difficult to play in the piano. The 10 a.m. and the 5 p.m. service has fewer hymns, and most of these hymns are easier to play on the piano. This provides an opportunity for a newer pianist to gain experience accompanying the singing. I can remember when I began attending and shortly became the pianist for all services, the 11 a.m. was a challenge for me with my limited abilities until I had several years under my belt. So there's some musical strategy behind the hymns as well. So again, reviewing uh, the, the list, we have 20 hymns in our core list, 28 on the secondary, 16 communion opening hymns, three communion closing hymns, and 13 Bible study opening hymns. This gives us a total of 80 hymns. 
The secondary list does not have a lot of repetition. And if we were to exclude those 28 hymns, we have 52 hymns that have repetition of three to five times on an annual basis. And this is a workable number where people can become more familiar with the tunes and better profit from singing them. There are 52 hymns with very regular repetition and another 28 that are sung less often. So depending on how you want to slice it and dice it, we have 50 or 80 hymns that become the hymns of this church. And in my research and discussion with others, this is a good number to keep in mind, or to use. It gives us variety in what we do, and yet we have a solid amount of repetition to assist us in really learning the tunes. And one thing as I was working on this, I did not even consider the tunes in the choices. In trying to figure out how do you down-select all of these hymns, and given that you, we have a hymnal of over 750 hymns, I just said, ignore the tunes. I, I can't consider the tunes. It, it's a level of complexity that exceeded my ability to, to figure out. But the tunes are great because the hymn that we opened with this morning, did, was that tune familiar? Think of, oh, worship the king. So it's the same tune as Oh Worship the King. So there is a little bit of duplication in our tunes. And if we wanted to have a hymn sing, one thing that could be done is you could find one of the tunes that you really like and find another tune with the same words. And so we know the tune, we just are singing a whole other set of words to that. Let's talk about liturgical hymns. What do you think when you hear the phrase liturgical hymns? Okay, a little slower. Anything else come to mind when you hear the phrase liturgical hymns? Seasonal. Seasonal? Okay. The doxology. Okay. So liturgy, that's like a structure or order to serve it. Right. So in a way, part of structure. Yes, you are being very technical. And that is correct. Every church has a liturgy going down a slight rabbit trail because you do the same things in a particular order. That is your liturgy. When you hear the word liturgy, what type of church comes to mind? Catholic? Episcopal? Presbyterian? A high Presbyterian, an old... Okay. So now when we come to liturgical hymns... Um, you know, we have different images that come into mind. So a liturgy is a form, a structure, or there's the word formulary by which public Christian worship is ordered. And it can be as simple as the same structure week after week, or it can include seasonal elements for events throughout the calendar year. And again, churches that have involved liturgies include the Roman, Catholic, Episcopal, Lutheran, Methodist, and Presbyterian churches. There can be differences between the groups, but there is also significant commonality between them because it's seasonal-based. There's a seasonal aspect that drives the liturgy that they have throughout the year. Now, we've created a liturgical hymn schedule for SGBC. However, it is very simple, and it is driven through observation from Scripture. In the Old Testament, the ceremonial law had feast days and special events throughout the year. 
the people were to set aside their normal routine and take time to remember what God had done for them in the past. In a similar manner, our liturgical hymn schedule considers special calendar events and selects appropriate hymns to draw our attention to the event. Our schedule is admittedly an American schedule based upon cultural markers for us. Some of these hymns have formed an unofficial liturgical schedule for years. Think of Easter, Thanksgiving, and Christmas. What, what is a song that we sing every Thanksgiving season? Come, you thankful people. So every Thanksgiving, uh, if you've been here for a while, that's always sung. Christmas, well, we have all those wonderful Christmas sung hymns for the whole month of December. Uh, and then Easter, there's usually a couple of hymns that we'll always sing at Easter. So other special events would be Mother's Day, Father's Day, July 4th, the last Sunday of the year, and the first Sunday of the year. So in going through our hymnal, I was looking at Mother's Day. Well, there's a couple of great hymns that remind us of the value and importance of mothers. Why not sing that? Same thing is true on Father's Day. I, I have had an aversion for July 4th because we don't want to be flag-waving within God's worship services. But I looked carefully at our hymnal, and there are some really good hymns in there that where we want to give praise and thanks for the country in which we live, where God has put us. And so there is a, a great hymn for that. And then the last Sunday of the year, sometimes the last Sunday of the year is also the first Sunday of the year. And we can't use both of them. But there's good uh, songs to use for that, to make us think. As we come to the end of the year, the hymn, The Sands of Time Are Sinking, make us reflect and look backwards. Then hymn 26, O God, our help in ages past. So again, it's a looking back concept. And then the first Sunday of the year, a few more years so roll. Oh, we just came into a new year. Again, we're reminded it's the time of resolutions and things like that. And then the other hymn is my times are in thy hand. Um, so these are all hymns that we've sung on a regular basis. And so they're going to be put into more of a, a schedule like that. Any questions? Steve? How many, is there a, a way to do how many of these are psalter selections? Main reason I ask is thinking about what Caleb said, like we're, we're to sing hymns, spiritual psalms, and psalms. Uh, just, I'm sure you guys maybe already looked at it, but is there, if it's 100% hymns and there's no psalms, it's probably a problem. We're missing some in terms of like uh, how our worship is. Right. In, in my... Um, in my spreadsheet where I manage this, I have the Psalter indication, so I know which one is the Psalter. Right. So the secondary list, actually, the core list does not have as many Psalters. It's not half Psalter or something like that is, is much less, but the secondary list has more Psalter in it. So I will then, that, when I'm going through how many times things are being sung, that's by the numbers. But the reality is there's some variants, like some of those Psalter secondaries are going to get sung a little more often so that we can have the Psalter that's in there. For the list that I handed out, it was like there's only so much information I can put there, so I excluded that. Good question, though. Anyone else? Ken. Going back to the definition of a hymn that you gave us from Webster's, 
Um, it seems that that definition would fit um, our hymn singing here or the singing that some of us had in evangelical churches, the more contemporary. But we categorize hymns as separate from, from that, normally, I would say. Is, is there a working definition um, that... Uh, defines those two different types of Christian worship? If it ain't old, it ain't good. <laughs> the, I don't have a good definition on that. Um, one of the things, there, there's, when we look at a hymnal, a good hymnal has tremendous history in it. And in, in my opinion, and I'll state that up front, much of the current newly written Christian music it isn't based on much. Um, musically speaking, I, I was talking one of my um, customers. She goes to one of the larger churches down in Anaheim. Um, I bumped into her. I hadn't seen her since college. She was a phenomenal pianist. Uh, I'm not a pianist compared to her. Um, and she goes there, and she laments the music that they sing there. And we were talking about it technically. And so there are technical musical reasons uh, that I don't like it. And I hear too much musical repetition. You know, one of the popular songs that if I were to say it, you'd know it. Those authors, when I hear their other songs, it sounds just like that one. I hear the same elements in there, and it's boring to me. Um, the only thing that's common in here is the same tune might be used multiple times. But they're all very unique. Steve? Say hymns are a genre in terms of it's sung in context of congregational singing or design. Like uh, on the 25 writings, the, the list of hymns, being Christ alone is on there. That's not old. It's 2001, and it's pretty popular and well-done hymn, but it's definitely a hymn when you hear it. Yes. Would you say it's a genre in terms of like genre of music that's intended to be sung from a congregation? I don't know. That is off the top of my head. It, it is a genre, and I struggle to give a concise definition. Um, it's, as I have been reading about it, I become very wordy in what I'm going to say. Um, is there a literal translation? Because scriptures talk speak of hymns. Maybe that's super, super tangential. But, that's like, for a sermon. Right. <laughs> but in terms of hymnody... Um, Again, we send out the words, and so when you look at the words, I call it a hymn poem. Uh, that's just my own way of trying to describe it. It has a flow to it. Uh, what, what Charles Wesley did, what Fanny Crosby did, what Isaac Watts did, what Newton done, there's an order to that. And if you look at the hymnal, and John mentioned it when he was talking about the Psalms, there's a meter to that. It's very structured and ordered. And so from verse to verse to verse, it's very repetitious. But that's by design. It's a flow. Our ear hears that, and it's appealing to us musically. Um, some of the contemporary hymns, so-called, is like, well, what's the meter? I can't feel it. I can't find it. I can't, if I can't feel it and find it, I struggle to sing it. Um, again, I'm coming from a musical background, so maybe I complicate things. Well, I do complicate things. I'll, I'll admit that. So it doesn't fall into that category of a classical hymn. It's a Christian song. So there's Christian songs and there's hymns. And there's, it's kind of tricky to um, 
put a clear line in there. And that would be for, that's really a more in-depth uh, discussion. Any other comments yet? Caleb? About the lyrics of uh, camps. Uh, I used to think of praise songs versus worship songs when I was in an evangelical church. And we were trying to talk about what's the difference. Well, praise song is written, directed to God, so we're singing to God. So uh, when we think about it, again, I know sometimes we're directing our words to God. It's like we're praying. And other times we're just kind of stating truths. And other times we've actually prayed to, do we pray to Saul? Or are we saying to Saul? Not that we're really praying to him, but the words are written in this way where we're singing to Saul. It's all, or we're singing to elements of creation, like the wind and uh, the ways we all need to worship God. So I'm wondering, uh, do the lyrics mimic uh, the way that the psalms were written? Um, or is it just kind of, is there no um, necessary order to the way that's approached? That's a, that's a thorny question. Um, I would say simplistically, the hymns need to focus our thoughts away from us to God or some element of God. Or we are humbling ourselves before God, like we would see in the Psalms. Um, when I was strumming the guitar, leading all of the praise songs many, many years ago, not here, um, I, it just... It's so repetitious. The same thing. Well, let's sing that one more time. Uh, we got to get ready for the, the quick little devotional and, and whip our minds up. But when you look at the history of hymnody, uh, when Martin Luther uh, would write a hymn, he was trying to teach doctrine in there. Many of the, the men of old, I mean, the abilities that some of these pastors had is just phenomenal. They would be preparing an in-depth sermon, and they would write a hymn each week. Oh, <laughs> don't ask me to write a poem in my life. Um, but they were trying to teach the people. And again, when you think historically, with the Reformation came the Bible and the common tongue. People were now reading God's word. So how do we teach it to them? Well, we can memorize catechisms, we can memorize scripture, and we can have good hymnody that matches our theology. And that's what I think the modern church lacks. Their hymnody... It's just a bunch of songs. And I know that some of these praise leaders, because they've seen a lot of the websites, they try to talk about finding words that match the sermon. But I find it very interesting how God works. We pick our hymns a month in advance, and at the end of the month, it's amazing how the hymns and the scripture reading and the sermon go together. Um, again, we're, we're talking about doctrine and theology in our hymns, and so it more easily coalesces. Um, I want to wrap up while we have just a little bit of time. In most churches that hold to the regulative principle of only having elements in our worship services that are instructed by God, the choir is composed of the congregation. The people themselves are to do the singing of the hymns. We do not sit back and listen to others sing to us. Rather, all of us stand and together we sing to God, since he is the true audience. If this is the case, that we are the choir, then this implies that we have responsibilities and obligations. We must put forth effort and exert some energy when it comes to singing the hymns. 
We must admit this to be true, that as a member of the choir, we must participate, and we must participate actively. At the simplest level, it means that we sing out during the hymns. I'm not saying that we belt out the hymn. One Puritan pastor would call that braying like a donkey. But the person next to you should be able to hear your voice. In a choir, it's the collection of voices that work together during the hymn. There is a strength and energy that develop as the voices coalesce together. In a choir, each member is listening to the voices around them and uses their own voice appropriately for the benefit of those around them. This is the concept around which music is made. And that phrase uses their own voice appropriately. I've heard some people say, well, I can't sing. Well, you want to, say, you want to sing something to the ability that you can. But in recognition for those that are around you, you adjust your volume accordingly. Um, that's being part of the choir. And interestingly, what I find, when I first started playing the piano, I was so focused on just hitting the notes. So that was my initial focus for quite a while. But now I'm listening. What's the congregation doing? At the quarterly gathering, do we sing the, the quarterly gathering hymns at the same, faster, or slower tempo than we sing? Slower. Because I can't drive 250 voices past where they start. It doesn't matter that I played it through at the tempo that I want. 250 people are going to sing it at their pace. And so I have to listen to that and support that and not what my agenda is. So as we sing, we're listening to the people around us. How are they doing? What are they doing? I can then respond to that musically. And if you're musically inclined and can read and sing parts, I would really encourage you to do that. When the other musical voices, the alto, tenor, and bass, are added beyond the basic melody, it gives a richness and fullness to the hymn. These other voices, are parts, give us the harmonies of the tune in addition to the melody. One thing that we've done as pastors is to make sure that we email you early the lyrics of the hymn that week, as we've mentioned. Uh, Pastor Steve was out of town. He controls the email list, so that didn't occur this week. I apologize. Um, and let me read the opening paragraph of that email just as a reminder because it fits into this lesson. The lyrics of all of our hymns began as poems, and as a poem, the words were read at the reader's pace. But when we sing a hymn, we sing at the pace of the music. There is a great benefit to a slower reading of our hymn poems. We can more slowly consider the words. We can more easily see patterns in a poem. And, a read th and when read through prior to singing, you'll receive more benefit when you do lift the words in song. Um, one last thing as we're wrapping up. There's, I put together what I call it, hymn singing at Sovereign Grace Baptist Church. I showed that to Pastor Ken and Steve quite a while ago, and that is a blog article, and it's up on the website, and it has the list of hymns on that as well. So if you lose this and you want to know what are the hymns that we sing, go to the blog page on our website, and that's posted there. And then one other aid, the deacons are in the process of going through, they've ordered new hymnals, and they're going to clean up uh, the hymnals that are in the pews, and some of them need to be retired. And so we'll be selling the hymnals for $10, and you can get your own copy of the hymnal. You can't have this one because my name is in it. Um, this is the one that I use. But you'll then be able to have that at home for reference 
uh, and you can use that in family worship or to memorize the, the lyrics. Not really. That was just me. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We do thank you that you give us the opportunity and ability to sing to you. Lord, as we look in Scripture, particularly in Revelation, we see the choirs of heaven singing your praises, singing your majesty and your justice over all of creation. Lord, we desire that you would help us in our small way, in our small sphere, to be able to lift our voices, to worship you in praise, and that you would uh, fill us with a sense of who you are as we lift our voices to you. We pray that you be with us now as we move to our 11 o'clock worship service, that you would receive the glory and praise, and that you would instruct us from the preached word. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.